Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Command Point. My name is Ryan, and today I'm joined with my co-host, Shane, and our special guest, Sean. How's it going? Hey, everybody. Uh, so today we've got a, kind of a, a mixed bag here, if you will. We just got some general topics that we want to discuss. The Command Point Invitational Week 2 Roundup. And uh, we're going to answer some questions out of uh, the mailbag chat in our Discord server. So, uh, Shane, do you want to kick us off here with the first topic? Yeah, sure. I thought I think there's a lot of things that we can cover uh, right now, especially with with how much has been filmed, uh, battle report wise, game wise, with the tournament going on. There's been a lot of streamed games, and a lot of people have been. Uh, talking about how they've been seeing crazy dice in this tournament and how it's like nothing they've ever seen. And I want to try and bring that up in terms of, I think there's a bit of an explanation for it. And I think there's some, uh, some stuff I can draw on. So I think the first thing uh, notably is, yeah, we're seeing so much crazy dice at this tournament, but when you're actually playing in a tournament, how often are you able to watch so many other games? Not too often. You're usually just playing your own game. Um, the other games are kind of going on in the background, what you're really there for. Um, you'll always hear stories. Somebody's saying that they got diced or somebody had crazy dice, but you just kind of move past it because it was only the players that saw it. Uh, do you guys kind of know what I'm talking about here? Absolutely. So another thing about this is... In, Ryan, you can, I know, I don't know if you can relate to this, Sean, but Ryan, you for sure can. Uh, <laughs> in online poker, um, people always talk about how they see, like, you'll see this a lot, where people say, I swear to God, like, online poker has the craziest hands, like, I see pocket aces all the time, or, like, there's so many straights. Um, uh, the reality is, there's not more crazy hands in online poker than there is in real life poker. It's just that online poker is happening way faster. Mm-hmm. So you're being exposed to more hands. So you're you're going through these hands really quick, and you're just seeing more, and it feels like there's more crazy stuff going on, when in reality, it's just you're seeing more. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a similar thing with this tournament. Like, people are seeing so many games, and uh, people are, like, there's so much discussion about these games, and there's so much coverage that it feels like craziness. And I don't want to say there hasn't been any craziness in this tournament, because there totally has been. But I don't think it's as wild as i think we've been led to believe a little bit so far do you know what i mean yeah someone in the discord server the uh the dice roller boxes that are built into uh uh sean's lvo uh map for tabletop simulator uh they've rolled a hundred dice all at once and the outcomes came out exactly random so you know you're seeing all these crazy dice but yeah it's just because you're you're seeing a much larger volume of dice being rolled. Just kind of going off the whole, what you were saying earlier about players kind of uh, blaming the outcome of dice rolls to uh, being what translates to the outcome of their game. Uh, this is a this is a dice game, 100%, but there are a lot of different things that you can do as a player to minimize the impact of said dice rolls. Um, that comes down to list building and just having enough practice uh, with your list so that you're like good and playing competently with that list. Um, that's kind of all I wanted to add. 
It's that when I, whenever I come away from a game, I'm and I'm and I lose the game. My first thought isn't, "Oh, I got diced," or "Oh, if only my dice rolls had been better." My first thought is usually, "Okay, what uh, mistakes did I make in taking in taking um." A list or choosing my secondaries or how would I have just played it differently in like the movement phase fight phase I hardly ever think about oh if only the dice rolls had gone my way I would have won because you can't control the dice rolls what you can improve on is your abilities as a player right and I think sometimes you know that comes down to not putting all your eggs in one basket too you know it's really easy to see um two models on your list that are going to be your powerhouse shooters or, or melee specialists. And if those dice don't go your way, or if, uh, if they get put in a position where they can't do their job or get taken out of action, then, you know, the rest of your team needs to be able to do work. And if you're, if the rest of your team is just, uh, kind of the chaff that hangs out in the back and holds objectives, and then they're left to do the heavy hitting, it's not gonna, not gonna turn out well for you. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's certainly possible to get diced. Like, it happens. We've seen it happen. It's just, I think a lot of the time, even if you did get diced, it's better to try and come away from a game thinking about what you could have done better and what improvements can be made. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that there's a lot of factors in, in, in this game, and, and you need to try and focus on the things that you can control rather than the things that you don't have any control over. Uh, we we could talk about dice all day, but when it comes down to it, it's it is what it is. If we if we wanted a deterministic game, we'd all go play chess. Um, but man, I wish I knew where this uh, came from. I'm but I'm thinking years ago in a forum, I saw a quote of you know if we wanted a deterministic game, we'd play chess. But you know, kind of like Jurassic Park isn't the best movie in the world, but dude, dinosaurs. So like, <laughs> I think uh, I think you know I think 40k is kind of like that, and kill teams like that, where you know sometimes crazy things happen, and those make for really good stories. Like you know when you're on the receiving end, and maybe maybe not as much, but you know you love hearing those crazy stories of uh, kind of the underdog coming through in a in a one v one, and um, that makes it that makes it exciting as much as it kind of uh, brings out the salt too. You know, just what it is. And, <laughs> and you know, the, the human brain is really bad at um, randomness. You know, we're, we're, we're not good at generating pure randomness in our perceptions, but we're really good at recognizing patterns. So, you know, when you take a random set of dice rolls, we're going to find a pattern somewhere in there. And we're going to say that because there's a pattern, that means it's not random. Well, when you think about how many possible you know, combinations you could get that we could call a pattern, you know, there's always going to be something like, oh, those two numbers were sequential. That's not random. Or, you know, oh, I rolled doubles. That's not random. Well, think of how many combinations of dice would be either a double or sequential. Like it builds up. It's going to happen. So just kind of, you know, yeah, there are there are random number generators that are not truly random. But until you look at the code and see why that is like, just kind of accept that it was random. It just wasn't good for you. So now you're salty. Wow. Sorry if that's a little, a uh, little too, too thick. I'm just thinking of people blaming my blue dice, man. Like I used, <laughs> I've been using your blue dice this whole tournament and they have come through for me in the most clutch situations. Let me tell you. Yeah. The salt channel has been huge for that, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. if, if you're upset, just go to the salt channel, let it all go through, you know, 
Spill your guts out. Let the salt flow through you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So uh, speaking of salt, that kind of is a good segue into just a general topic that I want to talk about. And that is um, managing tilt in game. So uh, for people that don't know, uh, the term tilt or tilting is uh, just getting... uh, it's just getting incredibly frustrated in a game because uh, just things are not going your way. Uh, this term uh, comes from poker, but is but is obviously applied to uh, 40k and kill team as well. Um, and I'm bringing this up because I had a very recent game against Udzikal in the Command Point Invitational tournament, where uh, two of the three Vanguard vets in my list that I played against his custodes. Uh, were shot off the board, turns one and two, and those basically made up two out of three thirds of like the killing power in my list. And just there's a lot of points sunk into those models. So I could see how um, some people could see that if both those models die, uh, they they could be pretty tilting, you know, because both of them they've got three up storm shields. And you only need to make one. And for each one of those, I uh, had spent a command point to re-roll their three-up armor save, and it just didn't go through. So both those models died pretty easily. The way that I personally manage tilt in-game is I just like don't dwell on the fact that, oh, this model died when he shouldn't have mathematically. The odds are so low of him being taken out of action. What I do instead is I just think about what I can do now in this moment to get me the most points in this game. And that's that's basically my secret to mitigating tilt. I don't I don't know if you guys uh, if you guys have any uh, tilting stories or any tilting tips, but that's just uh, that's just what I subscribe to. Yeah, and sometimes I think the more tournament experience you have, the easier it gets because you kind of get used to you know, just accepting that things will go wrong or just not the way you planned. And the more experiences you have in adjusting to, um, you know, facing that kind of a, kind of adversity, then, you know, the easier it will get and the most, the, the less likely it'll be that you'll let it affect you. Um, you know, cause you know, we, we study matchups, we study the packet ahead of time. We come up with a game plan but in the end of the day, you know, you're going to end up against somebody else who also has a game plan and you're just trying to one up each other. So um, kind of at any, you know, have have a vision of how you're going to get to the, the victory condition. But as soon as something changes, you know, it don't reflect back on, you know, how you can squeeze the situation to to match what you wanted it to be and start recalibrating to what the new victory condition is going to be. Um, so just, just moving forward past it instead of kind of reflecting in the moment of what could have been, um, because in the end, what, you know, what are you going to do? You know, after the game's over, sure. Look back at what you could have done better, but in the moment you just got to kind of keep going forward, just maybe in a slightly different direction. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you guys are totally right. I personally, I'm a super volatile player. Sometimes I get really <laughs> frustrated. You guys know this. If things aren't going my way around one and two, sometimes I get tilted off the fucking earth and I just can't. Uh, I don't know. I, I start, I dwell a little bit. Um, and I, I mean, for me, I guess the 
the difference maker is is lately um, I, I have been looking a bit more at you know, a model gets taken off the board that I didn't expect going off the board round one. And, you know, you just approach it. It's a new game now. Like, you have different win conditions. You need to do different things. Um, I mean, your game plan changes. And I think a lot of the a lot of winning in this game it comes down to how good you are at adapting to, uh, to new situations that you didn't quite plan for. Um, I mean, the good thing for me, uh, like, I mean, I played against a Custodius player this week in the tournament. And I was really, really hoping that I'd have a Mega Knob that could uh, that could keep a Custody tied down for one round. And the Mega Knob survived the one Custody, but then I didn't plan for the uh, the other Custody using the up and atom combat tactic to pile into the combat and then kill my Mega Knob. Uh, that was frustrating for me. But I guess something that I did that I maybe wouldn't have done a few months ago was I, I kind of kept a level head and I tried not to you know, get too freaked out about it. And I know I think it's a huge difference maker, kind of like in your game against Utsical, Ryan. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you had some horrible dice. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was watching that just in total disbelief. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you still made good moves and it, it worked out for you. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not the I'm not the guy to talk to if you need advice, <laughs> advice for tilting, but I think I'm getting better at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, for me, especially with this tournament, like I've been more of like, uh, I just, there's so much time to prep between games. Like, you know, the mission, you know, your opponent, you can see their roster. Uh, you can, you can mentally walk through every possible scenario. Um, mm-hmm. and just try and plan for, for the best moves, knowing, knowing what secondaries you want to take and, and how you're going to interact with that bonus uh, objective uh, in this case of LVO. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that was a big part of why I was able to win my games this week was just kind of like obsessively looking at these, uh, at the matchups and and what I can do with my roster. Yeah. I don't know. It helps. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, I've been enjoying, you know, having a little bit extra time to play games is, you know, well, getting more games in in general. So you're actually kind of, that's great for players. Like us, the flow. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that the really slow, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I enjoyed, uh, you guys had a very tactful way of saying that, uh, I'm a slow player. You said I'm a very, um, deliberate player or something like that in the commentary. <laughs> so I definitely appreciated your tact there. Um, but yeah, so it's just like building in that muscle memory. Exactly. So you get the repetition of making those decisions quicker. And, oh, I've seen this game state before. So, you know, I, I, I kind of have a sense of what to do here. But, you know, everybody has a local meta where you kind of get used to the same factions and the same play styles. And then when you go against um, people outside of your normal play group, you know, now you're hitting, you're playing as factions that you've never played before or just seeing a different approach to those to those lists that you may not have seen before. And that throws a new things that a lot of new things your way that can just overwhelm you, and suddenly it's not you know a matter of thinking through stitch, uh, strategically what your game plan should be. It's just literally what does that guy do again, and your head gets so kind of crowded with that that it's hard to mm-hmm. think on that higher level. Um, but having that extra time to to prep and read through um, the the opponent's factions, uh, uh, like their their 
their units and their tactics and kind of look at the board and the, the mission layout, you know, that's that's been really helpful for me to actually feel like I'm playing the game and not just remembering what the, the guys do. So um, I, I definitely love this format for a tournament. Yeah, 100%. It feels like um, like getting ready for a single game every week for one tournament. It feels like um, it, it feels like how I would imagine uh, like an NFL coach prepares every week for the next game for the next team that he's facing you know what i mean so watching film all that other stuff coming up with different plays stuff like that and i've really been enjoying that aspect of it yeah i noticed you said one game a week uh us down here in the uh, yeah that's step fight yeah, club yeah. We, we don't we don't have the luxury of one game a week <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey but you know it's chaotic it's a chaotic environment i had to prep for uh for I spent like the first half of the week prepping for my my death watch game and then I won that game on Tuesday and then we scheduled the game for Thursday against custodies and I had two days where I just had to like tunnel in and just think about custodies for two days straight and I hate thinking about custodies you know this um, <laughs> yeah. some of our listeners know how much I hate thinking about custodies so um yeah no it's just like uh you need to Sometimes, I mean, in that loser's bracket, I mean, that's kind of another challenge. You you have the two games to play instead of the one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a mix between game planning and adaptation. So, uh, Sean, did you have any topics that you uh, you wanted to touch on? Um, I'm looking here at the the mailbag on Discord, and uh, Kingmaker asked uh, about the the value of a command point and when you can spend them to make the biggest impact. Yeah. Um, and I really like that because that's that's a discussion that was going on elsewhere in the Discord just about um, different ways to the rules of the game could be modified to allow uh, tactics and command points to have may, maybe a bigger impact or at least a more consistent impact. Um, you know, since command points are one of the, you know, the tactical reroll being one of the main ways you can mitigate the uh, the... The impact of dice on the game kind of to tie in what we were talking about earlier so yeah i was actually going to talk about that at one point um today i wanted to go into a tangent about how to use command points and how to approach tactics in the game um mm -hmm. i guess now would be a good time now that you've brought that up uh, and i talked a little bit about this on the discord this week um and i think one big issue that a lot of players make and i think this is one of the biggest determining factors in how far you're able to get in a tournament and how often you're able to actually win games. Um, and that is sometimes people can be a little bit sloppy with their CP and they'll, and they'll spend a CP on a reroll that they don't need to, or they'll use one of their faction tactics at a time when, I don't know, it's, it's like, Oh, why not? Like I have the CP, let's just do it. Um, and you're not always looking forward to say it's the shooting phase and you have a shooting tactic. Um, and you, you have a shot and you want to use that. But you also have a guy tied up in combat who got charged in the movement phase by your opponent. And you have two CP, and instead of saving it for a decisive strike when it might be a really good time to use that, you, I don't know, just throw the CP away on a shooting reroll, and now you have one CP instead of two, and you can't do that decisive strike. Um, and I think with, the, with some exceptions, like certain factions, like Asriani, just have incredible tactics that you can utilize every round. Um, but 
certain things like decisive strike, decisive move, um, and, and less so, but still decisive shot. Those are huge factors that I think should be the main thing that you're looking at for how you're going to spend your CP. Um, and I guess the way I described it when we were talking about on Discord was you need to view your faction-specific tactics more often than not as kind of a luxury. Uh, if you can afford to use it and you don't have to use any decisive moves or decisive strikes, then maybe look into you know bettering your position in the game by spending that CP. Um, yeah, I just think that those those tactics are huge, um, and they're super utilized, but I still don't think they're appreciated quite enough for how important they are. Right, because so many of the, the tactics that exist in the game are there to just better your odds when it comes to rolling the dice. Um, you know, I'm playing Grey Knights, so think about, like, Cybolt Ammunition. Okay, so that's, uh, you know, plus one strength um, and an extra AP minus one to... Uh, to the Stormbolter shots. Um, so yeah, that's going to up my statistics uh, on getting to the injury roll. Um, but, you know, what if I save that command point for the injury roll itself and raised my out-of-action uh, percentage from 50% to 75% by being by keeping my ability to re-roll that, that tactical re-roll. So kind of looking at which, you know, where the statistics are going to be improved the most for that one CP. Um, and then there might be other cases where it's not even about the percentages at all. And it's about, do I get to shoot or not in the case of, um, so that would be your decisive shot, decisive strike. You know, either he shoots me and I die, so I have zero chance of that guy doing anything, or do I spend the two CP to shoot at him first and now I know I get my shots in. Um, so... Sometimes it's about raising the percentage chance. Sometimes it's just about changing the 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 kind of the the sequence of of the game itself and and what's going to happen and what's not. Um, and the other thing too is not all not all rerolls are created equal either. So we're just looking at tactical reroll. You know, if mm -hmm. if you are if you have one shot with a uh, with uh, say you know four to hit and three to wound. Um, so you take two shots, you hit one, you miss one. Um, do you reroll that one hit that you missed, or do you save it and reroll later? Well, in that case, I would probably save it and try to save it for the reroll to wound on a three up because I'm more likely to have a reroll be effective on a three up than it would on a four up. So, um, you know, it, it's just percentage wise, you know, rerolling a die that you need a five up on isn't that likely to actually have a better, you know, uh, result as if you were like, if you, if you need a two up on your, on your wound and you roll a one, yeah, reroll that because you're almost definitely going to succeed with the reroll. Um, so, you know, in terms of the value of a command point, you know, be realistic that, you know, not every reroll is created equal um, in terms of percentages, not all rerolls are created equal in terms of, um, you know, the impact it's going to have in the game. So, you know, kind of be smart about, you know, when you're spending that CP um, and increasing its value by using it in high probability and high, like, value situations. Sorry, I just rambled for a while. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's, uh, that was good. Yeah, CPs, uh, at least when it comes to uh, TAC rerolls, 
you're definitely right. Um, not all CPs are created equal. Um, more often than not, when I find myself in an advantageous position and I have the CP2 spend, I will almost always re-roll a failed injury roll. Say a model has a flesh wound and I fail to take it out in an injury roll, um, I'm more than likely going to be spending the one CP just to re-roll that, just for that extra chance of taking the model off the table. There are some instances where I wouldn't do that. Say I'm playing against Heretic Astartes, and there's a very strong chance that that team is going to break because of all the cultists with their poor leadership. Um, then maybe I would just leave the, the flesh wound on them. So it depends. Um, and then one other thing about CPs is I think, Shane, you were talking about it a little earlier with Asriani and how all their tactics are really, really good. Um, uh, it definitely depends. You, the way that you're spending your CP, it 100% depends on what faction you're playing as well. So say you're playing uh, Adeptus Astartes. Uh, I'm of the opinion that you should be saving those CP uh, round one and not spending them on things like injury rolls uh, so you can get um, that three CP by turn two and get that death deny if you need it. Yeah, like yeah. I, I think there's certain situations where you just have to. And that's just like the unfortunate side effect of a dice game. But uh, kind of like in your game against Utsicle, your plan, I know, was to have three CP by round two. But it just didn't happen because you're you're down to one CP after the deep strike. And then he gets a really unlikely situation where you he gets one wound through um, at strength four. And then you fail the three up in Vuln save and you re-roll it. Um, that's already a bad situation. And it becomes a worse situation when you fail the re-roll. Right, and then he right. gets the out of action. So there's going to be times where you just have to, and and you you spend that CP and it kind of sets you back. But if if you're not in a situation where you absolutely have to, um, don't do it. Save the CP because you yeah. might need it for a decisive strike or attack reroll, or if you're a starties, death denied. Okay, so this one is, uh, as a mostly melee-focused list, what does your deployment in turn 1 slash 2 look, depending on initiative? I mean, I can, I've can. i had to think to death about this for the past week, um, have playing a mainly melee-focused faction with, with orcs. I mean, really, I think a hard part about it is initiative is kind of out of your control. Um, I mean, everybody knows that, especially with a melee list, it's better to go second rather than going first on that turn one uh, initiative. I mean, I think the thing you need to do is is be wary. I mean, obviously, it depends on if you're going against a ranged opponent or if you're going against another melee opponent. Uh, I think if you go first as a melee opponent against another melee opponent, I think your best bet is to uh, just advance up the field, focus on on getting into positions out of line of sight, but keeping yourself at least like eight or nine inches away from your opponent's melee options. Um, I mean, just don't allow them to get into those, uh, those turn two, those turn one charges because that's why they want to go second. Don't give them what they want. Um, put yourself in a good position where, where they have to make a choice between making a move that doesn't, really instantly get them into that close combat situation or taking a big risk and, and going for kind of a longer charge. Uh, like when I'm playing against custodies, for instance, um, we keep talking about custodies this episode, but <laughs> we both played custodies this week. So yeah. whatever. 
But uh, when I'm playing against custodies, for instance, if I always try and put myself rather far away from from a custody for obvious reasons. Uh, and when my opponent charges me, I kind of like it feels like a good thing because there's immediately a decent chance that that custody is going to fail and is going to be basically put out of the game for a round. Um, right. And not to interject, but that's like all based off of um, basically pre-measuring and making sure that that custode has a bad chance of making that that charge successfully. And honestly, against a, a shooty list, if if you win initiative with, with orcs or something, oh, I don't know. It's It's a really tough position to be in. You just need to put your orcs... Sometimes you need to sacrifice a little bit of board control and accept the fact that you might not be able to get on points round one um, and just put yourself in positions where uh, they're going to have to really make some advances to, to even get shots on you. Um, that's why factions like Admech are really good because Admech can, you know, advance and shoot without penalty with uh, with plasma calibers and... Um, if you go, if you're playing a melee list and you go against Admac and you have to go first, I mean it's really rough, especially on the LVO format with so many, you know, shooting lanes. Right, Sean. Do you have anything you want to talk about on uh, initiative and deployment on turn one and two? Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, initiative is one of the parts of the game where I have like personal beef just in terms of the design of the game, because it, it really right. does make such a big difference, right? You know, this is the fact that we have a question that, um, you know, pretty much states that, you know, 50% of the time, melee is going to really struggle. Um, and, you know, that that die roll. So um, I've been trying to think of um, kind of alternate ways to that the game could be designed uh, to to incorporate initiative in a way that's a little bit more balanced or can at least be prepared for. So it's not really necessarily a how to play under the current rules. But um, if I don't know if either of you guys have ever played X-Wing. In X-Wing, and they, they did have a huge overhaul, and they have a second edition that came out uh, a year or so ago that is pretty much where I called it quits. Um, but before then, at least, um, when, you, when you're making your squad... Um, part of the stats for each model you can bring is a pilot skill. And that's a number. At the time, it was from 1 to 9. I think they may have gone to a, a more condensed uh, pilot skill range. Um, and it's alternating activations. Um, and one player does have initiative. But you start with with movement. You start with the, um, the lower pilots um, moving first. And then... Um, when it comes to shooting, the higher um, the higher pilots go first, uh, and the idea there is that um, so the 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 lower skilled pilots move, and then the higher skilled pilots kind of have a chance to react to what they did, um, so that they can get better positioning for for shooting. So you all dial in your moves at the same time, but there are extra ways where you can kind of uh, barrel roll and adjust your positioning. So you can kind of see how the board develops with the younger, with the uh, lower pilot skill, and then uh, move into good shooting positions. And then in the shooting phase, the higher pilot skills go first, so they get the first shots. And when you buy a model, some one of, something that you're paying for is the pilot skill. And you kind of know going into the game, I'm going to probably be um, moving first because I have a swarm of low pilot skill guys, or I have a more elite squad 
I'm going to be uh, moving second and shooting first. Um, so you can kind of plan for how the game's going to flow and how you're going to try to play into that. Uh, and I think, you know, 40K had initiative already in the stat line for several editions, um, but we don't have it in Kill Team, where I feel like, you know, that could be an interesting way to to mitigate some of the dice problems with the, the initiative phase is to have elite models kind of by nature of their stat line and their elite status be able to move and shoot with a higher tactical you know planning ability because of their higher initiative value um and i, and I, I don't know i think that's something in, that's something that could be considered um you know, again, it's just wishful thinking because it's a hypothetical change to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, to that is game. super interesting, and I I really do like the sound of that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it changes the game a whole lot. But, um, yeah. you know, the way we have it now, um, you know, I think that just comes down to again having being flexible on the spot in terms of what your what your game plan is, and then how you kind of need to go down a, a different avenue depending on who gets initiative. You know, you might have been planning on, um, you know, being the beat down to steal, a, to steal a magic phrase. But, you know, if you, depending on where you fall in the initiative order, uh, you might have to kind of sit back and, and let, let the board play out a little bit and play the ranged game or be a little bit more conservative with your charges. Um, which doesn't feel good to, to go in with a plan and then have it change. But, you know, again... Dice game. Yep. It'd be super yeah. interesting if we could tactical reroll the initiative roll. Oh, yeah, that right. was actually a uh, that was a tactic in the BAO packet, oh. uh, which unfortunately that tech that tournament isn't going to happen this year because of everything going on. But um, it was called seize the initiative. It's two CP. Uh, obviously, kind of a tough sink before the first movement before anything <laughs> happens. But I mean, there's situations where. Um, and the actual tactic was you spend two CP and you you re-roll your initiative. Um, so it's not even like you spend two CP yeah. and you get it. That's a lot or, for a re-roll. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe you could do something where it's like you could spend two CP to either add to or subtract to from your initiative roll. That's cool. Uh, or then out or like do that or outright re-roll it, uh, whichever you want to do. So that way there's a little bit more flexibility. But even then, your opponent can do it too. So it's like you're just going to have situations where in the first uh, round of a game, nobody has any CP, and it just comes down to a reroll anyway. So, or a yeah. face-off, basically. Yeah. It's a tough one to crack. I mean, at the very least, like a soft um, change is they could make the winner decide if they want to go first you know so there's at least like right. a little bit of player skill in there like but at the highest level it's really going to be the same yeah it's pretty much the same because i mean it's mm -hmm. if assuming there's a right answer for who wants to be going first then the result is the same yeah if it's random or if you let them choose so um no, and yeah, there'll be game states where one person wants to go first and the other person wants to go second, and you know, but for the most part, usually there's somebody who wants to go first, or you know, both players want to go first or both players want to go second, and and ends up just being a coin flip again. But mm -hmm. so I guess before we get into the uh, 
uh, start talking about the the tournament and doing our update on that. Uh, there was a little segment that I wanted to do with you guys um, where I'm going to bring up some some models that I see being kind of underused, maybe not underused, but just aren't being used in general, regardless of whether or not I think they should be used. Um, and I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna single out models from factions that I know that you two play. And <laughs> okay. I want to get your opinions on it, and you guys can can um, switch it around if you think of anything while we're doing this, and and do it to me too. So, uh, yeah. Sean, I wanted to start with you um, because obviously you were for a very long time our local Tyranid player. Okay. I was curious. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. Um, I guess this isn't one model, but uh, Hive Guards and Tyrant Guards. I've got I it. Have yeah, never, it ever, in. yeah, I've never seen somebody run them. Um, I was going through the, the Tyranid uh, pages the other day, and I saw those models, and I had to do a double take because I swear to God, I was like, what? What are these? <laughs> like, I'm not a Tyranid player. Right. And none of the Tyranid players <laughs> I've seen or play against run Hive Guards and Tyrant Guards. Um, they're just a faction that I'm a little bit disconnected with. So I saw them on the page, and I'm like, what? are these i didn't even know these are the, the tyranids got these so right. can you just talk to us a little bit about those models and what your opinions are on them i mean i definitely had to pull the page up um <laughs> so, so, that would, <laughs> so that i would know what i was trying to talk about here uh no because they definitely don't see a lot of play and i have seen um some chatter on um some forums about you know tyranid players starting to find ways to get them into their list um because, you know, once uh, once the meta kind of settles into a certain place and people start to not expect to see these models, that's the perfect time to bring them if they have kind of any valuable threat uh, to them. So I, I think when Elites first came out, you know, they introduced 125 points as an option in some of the missions, but it took a while before the tournament scene really wanted to embrace 125. Um, and so nobody was running Terminators. Nobody was running these, uh, the the Tyrant Guard, Hive Guard. Nobody was running like any of the equivalent of those models. Um, and now that 125 is becoming more more common and is pretty much the standard at this point, I guess. Um, I think people are definitely starting to explore these options more because you can have a big fat body on your list and not completely um, kind of discount what the rest of your team can be. Um, so Hive Guard is, they're starting to get a little bit more attention because um, I, I think it's the only time you can get a, a BS3 on your, in a Tyranid list. Yeah, um, I think so too. And they have some yeah. strong weapons. Yeah, and like Toughness 5, 3 wounds. So it fits into the, you know, a lot of big bugs have 3 or 4 wounds, but, you know, it's the only one Toughness 5. It does have a 4-up save where uh, the Tyranid Warriors have 4-up saves, but other than that, the other uh big bugs have a five up and the, and the gaunts have a have a six up so you know definitely has a defensive capability that the other ones don't um so it's it's definitely something that can be there and i'm not gonna lie i need to scroll to see what the impaler cannon does again um <laughs> uh, i'll read that off because i'm sure most other people don't know what that is either it's a it's a 36 inch heavy two weapon uh strength eight ap minus two does D3 damage, um, and it can be fired at models that are not visible to the bear. Um, we've seen this in other other factions have similar things, and just like those other 
weapons. Um, if the target is not visible to the bearer, a six is required for a successful hit roll, irrespective of the firing model's ballistic skill or any other modifiers. Figure 36 inch range, heavy two. Um, so very often you'll be in short range. 18 inch short range is maybe the best in the game. Uh, well, you know, lots of lots of weapons have that, but that's that's really good. Uh, shooting twice um, with a three up ballistic skill. So figure maybe, I don't know, let's work under short range, but let's say they're in cover. So two shots hitting on fours, strength eight. So you're probably wounding on twos, AP minus two. So you're, uh, so there's, if they're Marine, they're saving now only on a five um, uh, or, you know, six or worse probably. Uh, and then D3 damage. So, you know, most likely you're going to be uh, going to an injury roll against most models, figuring you're probably going to get two damage or more. Um, and then that's a pretty good shot to it and out of action. So it's a really sweet gun. Um, and it's, you know, the ballistic skill is worthy of of spending the points on a big gun. But let's uh, actually gotta, like look at the points for what that's going to be. So hive guard, um, there's 35 points. Yeah, that's that's free. Yeah. Uh oh. Be right back. I got. <laughs> I don't go like where this is guard. going. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the sound of this. <laughs> well, I think yeah. the the thing about it too, um, and this is goes for high or for the tyrant guards as well, is they do require uh, synapse within 24 inches, kind of like gons. Right. So the thing with synapse though is. Instinctive behavior, I think people automatically get, they're afraid of. Um, so, but you can run, um, you know, the, the instinctive behavior models without being in synapse range. And in a lot of cases, you'll be okay. Um, so it's, um, so with melee models out of synapse range, you just, uh, your charge range is reduced by two unless you are charging the closest model. So there are a lot of times where that that's not even an issue. So yeah. you just you you know thinking of if you have a bunch of gaunts on the board, you're you're just kind of throwing them in there. Um, and then so the hive guard uh, has to be within 24 inches of a friendly synapse model. So um, you know the only chance you really have of running into problems there is if all your synapse get shot off the board, or if you're an arena because measuring synapse around walls actually is a lot more um, of a problem than it seems like it will be at first, because um, you can never measure through walls. Um, so, but even then, BS3, uh, uh, and for shooters, I should clarify too, um, unless you're within 24 inches of a friendly synapse model, you must subtract one from any hit rolls when shooting any target other than the nearest visible enemy model. Um, so again, if you're shooting at the nearest model, then it has no effect at all. And if you're not, so minus one to hit. So BS3, you're hitting on fours. If they're in cover, fives. And yeah, the, the negatives can start building. But um, So you can screen them out, I guess, um, if they're not within 24 inches of a friendly synapse model, um, just to force you to shoot at chaff instead of actually... Uh, uh, taking out the high value targets, or you can just make the decision to take the negative one to hit and shoot at the high value target, or just have a synapse model like 
almost literally anywhere on the board and you're going <laughs> to be within and you're going to be within 24 inches um so i don't know this is now that we're at 125 uh i'll i'll definitely look at these guys again yeah and a lot of people say like oh it's a lot of points but I really don't buy that excuse anymore. One now that we've really like dove into these different big point models, because I mean the most expensive in this scenario you're going to be looking at, because um, I was especially looking at the uh, the tyrant guard, uh, because he gets a I forget the name of the weapon, but he pays seven points for it, and he's a thirty one point model, so I think he goes up to thirty thirty eight or thirty nine, um, depending on if I'm remembering correctly, and he gets a uh, basically a power fest weapon where it's you know strength times two ap minus three d3 damage and um that that's a strength five model toughness five model two wounds um three wounds three wounds even yeah, yeah. So even better and uh nice. and he's got the uh he's got a few attacks just base and you can make him a combat or zealot um i mean i don't know i think there's some there's some pretty tough tough models in there that, that people really aren't looking at for tyranids yeah, and and I'm, when you're looking I'm at gonna, terminators now, terminators hit the they they see play now, and by the time you you add in all the uh, the bells and whistles for their their weapons, that's often where ter- uh, terminators end up somewhere in the mid 30s or low 30s. Yeah. So so yeah. I mean, people run wraith guards. Those are like 40 something points. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here for a second because it, it the the more expensive models like the like the tyrant guard and like the uh the wraith guard um justifying bringing those into your list it like tyranid players i don't think they have any excuse for not bringing a tyrant guard into their list like based off like point cost because they have so many other cheaper models that they can bring still in great numbers for things like board control and stuff like that or just to be chaff units whatever um but uh factions like Death Watch and to some extent Astartes, uh, they don't have that luxury of like the six, seven point models. So just be sure to take into account when you're thinking about what models you're going to be putting in your roster. Um, if your faction can still do what you want it to do um, with the points cost that you have left over after putting those bigger models into the roster. Yeah, and the hard the hard sell with um with these guys in Tyranids is that like um you know so three three wounds three attacks um you know Raveners have three wounds and three attacks and they cost fifteen points um so you know two Raveners are cheaper than a Tyrant Guard and yeah the Tyrant Guard it's a uh, strength five toughness five and has a three up save. Um, yeah, the three up save too. I wanted to mention. Yeah, that's that's not what you expect when you go against bugs. No. Um, yeah, you're probably taking out your AP for flamers, um, and uh, so definitely have the survivability that you might not be expecting when you uh, are playing against Tyranid. So it's that surprise factor. But you know, three or four attacks in one body versus eight attacks spread out over two bodies in Raveners. You know, it's I, th- I think that's where the hard sell is, but yeah, it's um you know especially in hold one kill one, or hold more kill more. It's uh now that the meta has changed and you and the elite models actually have um 
have more of an impact on the board where before they're a liability. Um, you know, could be time to look at these guys for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Ryan, now I want to move on to yeah. you. I have a model here that I wanted to talk to you about. It's one that you, I know you own this model. You've run it against me before. It's been a really long time though. Uh, I really want to talk to you about a, uh, suppressor for Adeptus Astartes. Ah, okay. Because I think it's a really interesting, really interesting model. And there's really nothing else like it in the faction. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, where to start with the suppressor? It's expensive for Astartes. Uh, mm-hmm. 29 points minimum. Um, there's not a lot of customization to the model that you can do, like a lot of other Astartes models. But to make up for that, it's got a 48-inch... Uh, accelerator autocannon which is uh it's it's like strength seven ap2 um and then whenever it deals any damage any damage even if it just takes a single wound off like a or a tyrant guard or whatever that model is um any model within two models or sorry within two inches of the model that was wounded cannot shoot in that same shooting phase so that that's like kind of cute and that's actually really good if there's like a blob of like guardsmen somewhere um and then on top of that this model has two wounds and it can fly um, a 12 inch movement yeah that 12 inch movement uh ignoring any sort of vertical terrain is um it can do a lot and i was running it and i was experimenting with it and the issue that i have with it is that it has a heavy weapon and they can't be heavy specialists. So what you would have to do to make the model more efficient when it's shooting is you would have to make it a sniper specialist. So it's re-rolling ones. So hitting on four is re-rolling ones um, after the model moved against an unobscured target. Um, That sort of stat line just didn't really appeal to me. So another way to mitigate that would be We'll just have like a comm specialist or an intercessor or a tax sergeant or a stern guard sergeant with an auspex close by to it. But the thing with that is that the model has fly. It's got that 12-inch base movement. So I would either have to sort of tie that model to the other model to build this inefficient engine (laughs) and just kind of like ball and chain them together. I still have that model, but I just haven't used it in a while for uh, all those sorts of inefficiencies that come with it. And I've just found better uses for the points. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could also, like, take it in a Salamander's roster, so it's just re-rolling failed misses, period. That's what Um, I was going to say. Maybe maybe you could run it with Salamander's. Maybe you could use that fly in a pinch if you need to, you know, get it on the map. Um, yeah, absolutely. Nice round three, round four. But I think if you're on an open board, it might honestly be beneficial to just kind of use him like sort of like uh, the, the Arquebus that Admech gets, except, <laughs> you know, he has two except shots. Except he can move. Yeah, and he yeah, has two and, shots. Yeah, and he can move in a pinch and fly with 12-inch movement. I don't yeah. know. I think there might if be you, something that you, might be worth it in a roster. Yeah, if you play it right, you can do things so, say, like, your opponent wins initiative, 
and you can react after all their models have moved or whatever. You can, with that 12-inch movement, you have a lot of liberty to put him in advantageous positions where he can still be in cover, still be obscured from like a readied model, but but that model won't be obscured from him. So you can get a little uh, a little you can get an advantage over uh, your opponent by doing that, but. Yeah, if you have a game where you lose every single initiative, or um, where you where you are going first every single initiative roll, um, obviously you can't do that. And I have had those games, and just that unreliability, I guess, of that scenario playing out is um, all those things just kind of stack together and make the model not that appealing to me. Yeah, I mean that could be. So the mobility is definitely huge, and like if you go mm-hmm. second, that's definitely something you can do. You could also just use it to like hold down a lane, um, you know, just kind of camp out in the back behind right. some cover, and you know, forty-eight inches. So he'll have a twenty-four inch short range that takes covers most of the board, and just okay, I dare you to walk out there, <laughs> because yeah. that's you know just ready up in that lane, and because you know so that'll be two shots, strength seven, AP minus two, two damage, and. And not only do you have to like survive that, but that guy that's standing next to you behind cover that I can't see, I'm still going to make it so he can't shoot. Um, so that's a lot of points just to hold down a lane. Um, yeah. yeah, and sometimes your opponent, they just don't need to go down that lane for whatever yeah. other sort of victory conditions that they're going after. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no, now, valid point for sure. But what you forgot to bring up, and that is really important, is that as a grab shoot, so it doesn't suffer falling damage. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You forgot to bring that up. Um, and I don't, I don't think we should ignore that. <laughs> I <Nah>. guess, yeah. <laughs> we some in the past where there's like a, there's like a 20-inch tower. And my yeah. is you can fly up the tower for free. Just fly up the tower for free, fly down it for free, and that's why and, I don't and... think that twenty-inch towers <laughs> should be really used that much in this game anymore. Yeah, there's nothing worse than playing orcs and then looking across the field from you, and there's a three-tier layer cake of tau drones and uh, pathfinder rail gunners staring down at you, and you just have to charge through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something for TOs to take into consideration when <laughs> picking green for running tournaments. Um, yeah, but yeah, but yeah that's anyway, uh, I, that's all I got about the suppressor. Um, all right, yeah, subfact would probably Shane, be salamander. Shane, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about a unit then. Okay. And um, and it's kind of a a softball because I know that you want to talk about this guy. <laughs> um, uh, so oh. you you play orcs. Uh-huh. Talk to us about the Mega Nub. Oh man! <laughs> so I've I've like because nobody plays Mega Nubs, and nobody until, plays and and now you play Mega Nubs. Yeah, and you like and you know what? The Mega Nub's doing pretty well for me. Um, yeah. uh, I've even given him a uh, a name after his after the last two games. He's been my MVP in this tournament. So uh, I'm going to be naming my my Mega Nub Nazgaz Gold Crumpa. <laughs> uh, the gold crumple referring to the fact that he he went toe to toe with a with a custody. <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean honestly, I think that every time I bring up a mega knob um, or the possibility of running one for the last like several like for the last month or so since I've been thinking about it, people kind of laugh at it. Um, 
it's it's not exactly a uh, a meta thing to do to run a, a mega knob in an arc list but um i've been running it with my evil sons list uh my roster for the for the invitational has two cultures on it i have a list with for snake bites and i have a list for evil sons i don't know if this is the you know the perfect way to go about it but generally speaking if you're running kind of the standard evil sons orcs which is what a lot of people uh turn to do um because it's it's just like nice having all that movement i do think that you absolutely should take a mega knob on that 20-man roster um the stat line alone so people get really scared of the points there um i mean if 41 points base is a lot that's the cheapest you're gonna get a mega knob in this game um, and that's just decking them out with a custom shooter and a power claw. Uh, and what I generally like to do is deck them out with twin kill saws. So it's, I think, seven more points. So it comes out to like a 48-point model, something ridiculous like that. Uh, so if you run the Mega Knob with, say, like a one other, like a boss knob, like a boy's boss knob, uh, basically with a budget scorcher knob, um, you know, give them the Grot Leader, and you can fit about nine or ten boys on that list, depending on how you kit them up. And, uh, I mean, in the hold kill format, having 20 boys, I mean, that's just not a viable way to play anymore. Um, and there's really nothing wrong with having a, a list of, like, 12 to 13 models. That's, if anything, that's kind of the sweet spot. And me running this Mega Knob has allowed me to have that kind of list um, for my Evil Sons and talking about evil sons that kind of helps get around the four inch movement um so it goes up to a five inch movement and then you advance them and you make them a veteran spec so you get that you know that before turn one uh evil sons mega knob advance so he's got five inch movement plus d6 plus one for evil sons and you can get yourself into a really nasty position for a turn turn one charge uh i mean he's got a two up save three wounds yeah, it's a point sink, but there's not too much that orcs can can bring up that are that is that survivable. And by not that much, I mean there's nothing that orcs can bring that is that survivable. And there's no orc that has a two up save outside of a mega knob. Um, maybe like some weird commanders shenanigans, but yeah, uh, just uh, having that huge forty millimeter. I mean, it's a forty millimeter base, and you give him twin kill saws, so he has four attacks. Um, three base and he gets the extra run for having two uh, of those kill saws and you don't need to make him a combat spec or anything like that you can give him the veteran bonus and and it just creates such a huge target uh yeah and and it's not like other orcs where where you can reliably maybe say okay well i'll try and fight first with my with my guy and and there's a decent chance that i can get him out of action before he can you know whack away at me um, you're probably not going to be able to do that against three wounds, two up save. So, yeah, some factions, they don't really have a way to deal with something like that. And uh, he packs a crazy punch. I mean, a lot of that is tied to the kill saws. So for those of you unaware, kill saw is a, uh, it's like kind of like a power claw, basically, except it's better in every way because it's AP minus four instead of AP minus three, and it's a flat two damage instead of D3. So you're missing out on the potential three, but generally speaking you're we you would rather have a flat two damage um and if you really want to i think you you can cut you can kit the uh the orc out with a, or the mega knob out with a with a scorcher too 
I haven't personally really experimented with it, but I mean, I'm sure there's an avenue for it with a uh, like a scorcha and a power claw, maybe. Uh, but you give them the, you give them that, and it's you're really getting up in points at that point. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's too bad. I don't know you. You guys can watch both of my games that I uh, well, not both of my games, but my game with uh, with Death Watch, I believe, should be up on the channel at some point. And um, I ran the Mega Knob there to uh, great effect. He he got every single kill for me that that entire game, <laughs> and uh, he was able to uh, to lock up, I think, a frag cannon and the intercessor leader round two. So that was pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like uh, like I said with the Tyranid too, when you're playing against a faction where you expect to see a lot of kind of crummy saves, and then all of a sudden a model drops down with a two or three up save, that can cause big problems because you probably uh, don't have a whole lot of AP in your list. So yeah, you don't really prepare against that. It's kind of like when I first started using Lich Guards with um, with Necrons, and, and people are generally bringing one damage weapons to try and like play around the the reanimation protocols. And uh, yeah, not not going to cut it against a two wound uh, lich guard. And uh, yeah, the same thing goes for the mega knob. You're not going to be bringing a ton of AP against orcs generally because you don't really need it that much. Uh, but the mega knob drops down to the two up save, and you know what are you going to do against that? <laughs> we got anything like... else that we want to talk about uh, before the tournament update? I don't. All right, yeah, let's do that tournament update. So I think there, there's a lot of games this week, and there's still some games that need to be played. So right. I don't think we should go through each and every game. I think it'd be better off if we just um, talked about a few games that we were able to watch or talk about some things that are sticking out to us. Um, Ryan, do you want to do you want to bring up anything? Uh, yeah, orc mega knobs are good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and uh, more know. people yeah more people should be taking them and not laughing at them because uh, they crump the hottest and they stay alive the longest go ahead i said nazgaz is the king of crump <laughs> <laughs> i guess i want to ask you guys are you seeing like a sort of trend in this tournament in terms of which lists are uh, finding the most success or is it kind of just like all over the board from what you've been seeing I mean, there's only two Asriani players, but they're both in the winner's top eight. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's LVO, so we shouldn't really be too surprised. And it's really good players that took them, uh, Alex Rutnarek and uh, John Sao. So that's something worth keeping an eye on. Also, all the custodies on the other side of the spectrum, all the custodies are out of the tournament. They have been eliminated. Mm. Right. Well, so they, they've done a bit worse so. here. <laughs> yeah. It's the blue dice. Than, than at LVO, yeah. Yeah, because they had a decent showing at LVO. Nobody made top eight, but um, mm -hmm. they had a positive win rate overall, but not here. How do you feel about the... Um, the I didn't get to watch the game, really. I didn't call the game, but can we talk a little bit about the um, the Battle of the Wog that happened? Oh, yeah, sure. I, oh, I did I a commentary that. for that game, so... Yeah, uh, we streamed it on Twitch at about uh, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so... <laughs> Sean, you're forgiven for uh, for missing that one. Um, it was an orc on orc match, so it uh, 
it went it went for for a pretty good time pretty good amount of time probably i think until like 1 30 i think was when it ended um but that was uh alex squires faced off against luke and uh alex squires had brought he had brought a uh, red sons uh evil sons crump evil sons and uh they faced off against uh luke's flash get list and i should mention that the author of both these lists was my co-commentator, uh, Emmanuel, over on the uh, Strategic Advantage YouTube channel. So that was hilarious um, to commentate a game where a list, where two lists that the co-commentator had written up facing off against each other and commentating it. That was uh, that was super weird. Um, uh, choppy orcs, uh, crumpin orcs are the best orcs, uh, as we saw. Um, yeah, what went wrong? I actually thought that... Sorry, you lagged out a little there, Shane. Oh, I was just saying, I thought that the Freebooters had kind of an advantage in that uh, setup because of the long deployment and all the shooting lanes. Yeah, so basically what happened turn one was Alex was able to get his veteran move out and he got a great advance. He was like dead middle of the board probably. And then I believe he won initiative turn one. He was able to successfully charge right into one of the flash gets and three other orc boys. So the issue with that is that's one half of the flash get engine, as Emmanuel called it, um, basically just being shut down. And then it was like around turn two, um, the other flash kit was also charged. Actually, I think both flash kits were charged turn one, if I'm remember if I'm remembering correctly. So that's like two huge parts of the equation known as the flash kit engine that were just completely shut down turn one. And though both those models they were in combat and then they were shaken and then they were dead, and that's pretty much all they were able to contribute the entire game. Um the constant forward pressure of the uh, of the Crumpin Orcs just they didn't need to hold their backline objectives in order to get hold more almost every single turn I think because they just kept moving forward in waves because all the shooting was shut down um, all the effective shooting at least and for Orcs that's few and far between um, and he was able to just overwhelm them. Interesting. That's a uh, yeah. Uh, another thing, I wanted to talk to Sean a little bit because I haven't gotten a chance to actually talk to you about this game, um, your game this week. It was against uh, Wardy, I believe. Yep. Um, so, did you get the chance to listen to our, our upload? I stayed up way too night, way way too late last night listening to it. Actually, uh, oh, but I yeah, <laughs> I it, it was it was kind of cool seeing it from that perspective, and uh, a lot of your uh, your your commentary was on point for sure yeah i just i can you talk to us about that turn one deep strike right behind i was the just about to ask him yeah <laughs> so i was super excited to make that deep strike um because i kind of thought he was going to screen me out back there um and i really just wanted to side bolt a rail rifle i just really wanted to do that <laughs> and it might not have been the uh the best move but i really just wanted to fry the brains of a rail rifle so um and after that 
it was definitely too aggressive the play made after that um which uh which you guys had pointed out and um you know i was glad i was able to tie up his other rifle um for another turn just by playing distraction carnifex over there mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know i put a fragile body right in front of a bunch of hurdy guns um <laughs> so i'm glad i got the rifle i probably should have gone on the other side of the crate after that though um and i was willing to risk that body for the sake of getting one of the rifles dead um because otherwise i would have had to stay out of the center of the board for the entire game and which i guess i i mostly did anyway but yeah that after after that trade kind of played out well for me and that I did beat the rail rifle and I survived, I should have just gotten the outside of the container. Um, but... Um, yeah, because I had noticed you had a blind charge on the leader, potentially. Yeah, no, I totally missed that play until, and then, you know, when I saw you say yeah. that, I was like, oh, man, why wouldn't I take that? Yeah, I think, um, I think in my head, too, so I took out the first rail rifle, and then I was like, well, if I get close enough, I might be able to sidebolt the other rail rifle, too. And I just got so excited by that that I was like, there's no way that's going to happen, though, because I have initiative. He's just going to move his drone closer to me. Um, and I couldn't even get, you know, I, I knew I wanted to keep him behind the crate so I would get the obscured bonus that he would just ignore anyway. And that I was too far away from him. So uh, it was just, um, yeah, I didn't actually think it through. I just got excited and moved him. Yeah. Um, which is funny because uh, lots of other things I think through way too much. Uh, but <laughs> I just like my like I started like salivating when I saw that that target that target over there. Um, yeah. So so that's when I, I moved that guy in. But um, I'm definitely gonna. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this right now, but um, you know I think Grey Knights have one of the best deep strike like games in the game. Because you you get to deep strike in at the end of the movement phase after everybody's moved, and then mm -hmm. you get the first action because you have sidebolts. Nothing else happens in the well, so that's not true because so in this game, I had initiative on turn one. so i I did the deep strike, and then he got to respond with his own deep strike. You know, he couldn't disrupt my sidebolt against the rail rifle because I put him at exactly five inches. So he could not get closer to me to to scream me out there. Um, but yeah, if you consider that the I can put a gray knight in on the outside of the board anywhere, you know, with, as long as I can get out of five. And then the very next thing that happens is him getting the sidebolt, which is almost a guaranteed injury roll. Um, and I'll have a CP for a tactical reroll on the injury roll. I have, you know, pretty much free reign to sidebolt anybody on the board that I want to, unless you effectively screen me out. Um, and which, sh honestly, I like. I don't think would have been that hard. Um, I kind of think maybe he wished he would have been able to roll that back a little bit, um, but he left me that open space. So um, if you leave me the open space, I'm going to take it, and then I'm going to sidebolt somebody in your back line. Mm -hmm. um now if it's in in some cases that's you know if you leave one guy if you're trying to hide your leader i'm going to come for your leader if you only leave one guy on your back objective that you're going to try to score what was it holding or whatever the the secondary is that gives you three cp steadfast. 
Yeah. So like if if you only leave one guy on your back objective, I'm gonna go for him to take you off that hold and make it a lot harder for you to get that steadfast. Um or if it's a guy with a big gun that you're just trying to keep out of the action, well, I'm gonna come for him too. So um, you know, I definitely this specific scenario, I put that guy like right in the middle of a lot of danger. Um, but even if he was gonna get um shot off right away. Um, luckily he survived turn one and then died turn two but even if he dies turn one he's going to get a sign bolt off first so you know the only way to i'm going to keep doing that until you scream me out so i can't or there are just no targets that are good enough to to make me spend the cp to go back there and then the other big play from that game was i i think the uh <laughs> the perils of the war but the <laughs> yeah uh, yeah talk about that um yeah, so I definitely went in the tank for a little bit on that because, you know, I, I didn't want to lose my guy, but, um, you know, getting 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 rid of two of his certainly seemed worth it. Um, so, so to recap for people who didn't see the game, I uh, on one of the objectives on my side of the board, I had one model and he had two. And I rolled double sixes, in which I would normally spend a CP to re-roll that so I don't blow myself up. But I figured, well, I'll blow myself up and take two guys out with me. And I did. I yeah. did three more. One of those wounds. guys was a stealth suit. So. Yeah, yeah. So that was sweet. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. So, um, <laughs> And I think uh, looking, you know, looking back at that game, you know, there I definitely left a lot of things... A lot of potential plays out on the board. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I can thank the blue dice on that one. Hey, I'm actually <laughs> undefeated with blue dice in this tournament. Yeah, so, nice. Actually, no, hey, I, think me I, too. I think I might have pink dice in that. Yeah, I mean, I think largely speaking, we're, we're in the final 16 now. Um, obviously, like I said before, a couple matchups to be played. But uh, interesting, interesting top 16. I mean, I think we're we're seeing a couple pretty exciting matchups this week once you get into this stage i think you start to see the the pressure starts to to build just a little bit on the um, yeah i'm against john sows asiriani um <laughs> yeah and i'm playing orcs <laughs> against emmanuel like yeah. the orc master so like what <laughs> he's literally like the orc father like what do you do orc. maybe uh maybe you can trick him into telling you what to do yeah I could be like, hey, what do you think would be a good play here for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's... Uh, and, and Sean, you're playing against Kingmaker, right? Who yeah, Necrons. Him. Yeah, I haven't played Necrons in a long time since you moved on from... Yeah. Or moved away from them for a little bit. So, you know, I'm assuming I'm going to roll lots of sixes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah good assumption. And it's not a... He has a... He has a... You know, he, he was very open that, it, you know, he's a little bit newer to the game. Um, so... Sometimes that's the uh, that's the hardest thing to the hardest kind of opponent to play against because they're so unpredictable. Um, you know, once the meta defines what are supposedly good lists and bad lists and good plays and bad mm -hmm. plays, you kind of build your lists and your your game plan around what kinds of things you expect uh, experienced players to do, and then you sit down against somebody who uh, who doesn't know what they're supposed to do, but they're gonna think it through and you know, come out with a a still still good unexpected play and you know, looking at his list, it's a very balanced list. Um so, 
I was kind of when I heard he was playing Necrons, I was getting ready to go against lots of flayed ones. Uh, and that's not what he has. He does have three flayed ones, but not uh, it's not going to be all melee. So I don't get to just like deploy on the edge of the map and kind of zap him as he comes to me. I'm going to have to actually like go engage him and stuff. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, no, Necrons are a tough matchup. So, uh, also, Shane Watts or Shane Watts also lost a game to Kingmaker. So, Sean, your name isn't Shane, but I think it's <laughs> close enough that you might want to start being worried. Yeah. Um, Kingmaker is now two and zero against Shanes. I'm not okay. sure if that's going to translate, <laughs> to Sean's, but mm, mm, yeah. Um, well, I'll have lots of different die rollers ready so that I can switch off between them as the situation dictates. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, as soon as one fails me, I'll delete it off the board and go to a different one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret, really. <laughs> yeah. And I'm excited that uh, this tournament's not even over yet, but we're talking about the next tournament. Uh, there's been some chatter in the Discord about uh, uh, the next LVO board layout, so that's really exciting. Um, as lots of line of sight blocking terrain um, with... A lot of fire lanes that only go about two thirds of the way across the board, so it's kind of like a little maze. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, so, a lot of people are showing interest in playing arena too. So, yeah, I'm actually um I'm gonna play around with um with the workshop stuff a little bit. I want to make arena. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put in three dimensional walls, um, <laughs> which is kind of annoying, but I'm gonna turn on the fog of war. Um, because Ooh. that way you actually have hidden information in this game um, so that you can oh, only man. see down the hallways that your models can see down. Ooh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I'm so, ex I'm so excited for that. Oh, my God. Yeah, because terrain, terrain blocks the fog of war. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll turn up the, the model's vision enough so that they can see across the board if, like, if it's an open hallway or the, the door's open. Because, like, you know, without even much scripting, like, somebody opens a door, so you pull the terrain piece back, and all of a sudden your model can see through that door, and there's a crowd of guys behind it. So um, I think it's going to make some for some pretty uh, cinematic plays. And Yeah, um, let's do a campaign, an arena campaign. Yeah. So I'm going to play around with that a bit um, after my, I think my game's on Tuesday. So tomorrow I'll prep for that, and then after Tuesday I'll play play around with the uh, the maps a bit yeah. yeah uh so it's sunday right now it's sunday night um the next round is beginning tomorrow so we're gonna have the uh the info up for this week's mission uh probably before this episode is even uploaded so yeah if you're participating in the tournament start talking to your opponent figure out when you're going to play this week if you're not participating in the tournament um, people are going to be posting their, their time when they're playing and we're going to have streams throughout the week for several games, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, tune in and, uh, yeah. Any, any other closing remarks, Ryan? Yeah. Before we uh, finish up here, I wanted to give a special shout out to a uh, longtime listener of the pod. James, uh, James was uh, kind enough to, uh, send us a batch of crude models uh, <laughs> at a price that uh, we simply could not refuse. So special thanks to him. Um, long, it feels like it was a long time ago, but it was probably just a podcast uh, we recorded in December. 
uh, we had jokingly talked about doing a uh, a crew versus some other faction battle report. Gene Steeler um, called, I believe it was. Gene Steeler <laughs> called battle report. Yeah, that's right. At some point, and I was, and uh, you had jokingly said, "Hey, if anybody is, knows where we can get some uh, some cheap group models, uh, hit us up." And uh, sure enough, here we are, like what four, five <laughs> months later. <laughs> Thanks, James. Appreciate it. They will serve us well. Now we have to do that battle report, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> we got we got to paint up those crew and do the battle report. So yeah, I guess that about does it for this one. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and we will uh, talk to you guys later.